Hi everyone. Hello. Um, I'm picking up on uh, two chapters this week, uh, Romans 12 and 13, as my loving wife over there only fancied the first few verses of chapter 12. No, that's not right. You felt that God put you on your heart and focus on bodies of living sacrifices, renewing the mind. And so what I'm going to do is um, pick up on Romans 12 and 13. Um, but as I looked at these two chapters, a title for the preach came into focus, and it was the kingdom of together, as you see on the screen. Now, if you've heard Kevin Davies talk outside of church, and, and he can talk, if you've, if you've heard Kevin Davies talk about his kingdom work out there in public, in society, in politics, his strategy has this pivot point of the economy of together. And that recognises that although we may be individuals, um, the power of transformation comes when we recognise how we are, or how we should be, or how we could be connected. And that's the theme I want us to zone in on today, to bring the message of together that runs throughout Romans 12 and 13. And I want to block today's talk into four main points. Uh, this is, these are the big issues that Paul's drawing out in chapter 12 and 13. Being together, loving together, together with authorities, and wake up, step up together. Now, as a reminder, Vicky said last week that these later chapters of Romans, Paul is actually trying to tell us how we ought to live in the light of the amazing gospel that he's talked about the previous 10 chapters. And um, he's asking the question, how do we behave given who we are and whose we are? So uh, today I'm going to use the message translation throughout for the scripture. Um, and because the, I think the initial verses of Romans 12 are so important, what we'll do is we'll spend a bit more time on that and then we'll pick up pace as we get towards the end of Romans 12 and get through Romans 13. So, first point, being together, don't be a chopped off finger or a cut off toe. Okay? So before we get to the graphic Im imagery of chopping off bits of our bodies, let's pick up where Vicky left off in verse 3. Living then, as every one of you does, in pure grace, it's important that you don't misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing this goodness to God. Now God brings it all to you. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what he does for us, not by what we are and what we do for him. And I'd like you to notice in verse 3 that Paul is leading with the fact that there's this grace thing, that we have all been given a measure of faith through Christ Jesus, and in the light of this being grace or gift, we should avoid what the NIV calls being high-minded and thinking about ourselves more highly than we should. We need to avoid allowing our full self or the ego and its self-centeredness to reign in our hearts. Because whilst in the world, the ego is a recipe for success or apparent success, it's diametrically opposite to the kingdom and it's absolute disaster for our souls. Because ultimately, 
it is a proud, conceited way. And the success of the world is an illusion. Those things such as wealth and success don't actually deliver what they promise and they leave us empty with a tattered, shattered soul and torn. So Paul's making the point that it's not us giving goodness to God, it's the other way round. We can only function correctly when we recognise who God is and our relationship to him and what he does for us. So verse four, Jesus is interested though in whose you are, that you belong to him. Isn't that amazing? You belong to him and he wants you to spend time with him. And that's why having said not to think too highly of ourselves, Paul goes on in verse four to effectively say that we also shouldn't think of ourselves too lowly because we are his, we belong to him, we are part of him. And in our prayer time, just before the service, um, someone sort of highlighted the fact that the only thing we can do for God is to worship him, that he can't do for himself. So the only thing that God can't do for himself, but that we can do for him, is to worship him. Uh, and this church, Junction 10, this is Jesus' church. Do you agree? Yes. It's not my church. It's not the elders' church. It's not even your church. It's Jesus' church. But he gives us the privilege of being part of his body. So look at Paul's language in verse 5 and 6. We all belong to Christ and are needed together by each other. Look at that language in the verse. Because to be a Christian is to live a cruciform life. And we do need companionship of other Christians for a cruciform life. We're all priesthood of believers, priesthood of all believers, every single one of us are ministers who minister to God, but also minister to his body, Christ's body, to each other. We are his bride. And this is all expressed through the church, the ecclesia, together. And this is a holy and sacred calling. Do you know that? Do you know the depth of the holiness and sacredness that God calls you to. And I'm going to say a few hard things now, but honestly, I think they need saying, are we really, really serious about this? Or maybe do we feel that we can be a Christian without necessarily regularly coming to church, coming to an occasional service, or perhaps feeling that our own personal quiet time is all we need? We don't really need church to be a Christian, do we? Or maybe not coming on time on a Sunday, maybe it's not that important to be on time. Missing master the worship, not properly preparing our hearts for the word. And I know I'm preaching to the converted here because you're all here, aren't you? But do you get the point I'm making? At Junction 10, we seem to be in a, in a season or on a trajectory where God appears to be asking us to focus on worship and to focus on ministry time and to focus on prayer. Do you get that? Are you getting that sense that something's happening in our worship? Certainly since um, before we went into COVID and then since Christmas, have you sensed 
in our worship time that God is doing something. Because worship is worship. It's giving God his worth. And if we are serious, then we need to do that together. Now, of course we should worship God in the week, uh, during our own quiet times. Of course, being church is not about being in a building on a Sunday. That, it's, it's far more than that. But equally, we have to come together to worship God. God ordained us to do these things. Christianity is not a solitary practice. And I'm not trying to guilt anyone because, to be honest, in the Christian faith, too many people operate out of guilt, and that's the wrong motive. Guilt is not a good motive. But I think I do have a responsibility to sort of say these things occasionally because me and and, and others will stand before God to show what we did, to give an account of what we did with our responsibility. And you know what? I think somehow, some of us sometimes might lose sight of this high calling and the sacred responsibility to worship and honour God, to be his priests and ministers together. Recognising that the church, what we do on a Sunday is not the be-all and end-all, and the church is the body of Christ, and it's wider than Junction 10, and it's everything that happens in the black country and beyond. But this Junction 10 place is where God has placed you, and God has placed me and he's placed us here to be together. And beyond Sunday corporate togetherness, I said it wasn't just about Sundays, it's also vital that you're part of a smaller community of believers that meets more regularly together to do life together. Now at Junction 10 we call them journey groups or house groups or missional communities, but a small community of believers that meet regularly together where you have accountability and you have support, where you can grow in relationship to God and with relationship to each other and where you pastor and encourage each other and challenge each other in your spiritual formation. It's vital. And church, I think we have to make these things our top priority. And and to do that, we might have to change our routines. We might have to do some things that really are inconvenient to be engaged together in corporate worship regularly and to be part of a smaller community. So Junction 10, can we put a high value just on this precious hour and a half on a Sunday and the preciousness of the smaller community to live out our lives in faith? Can we put our relationship with Jesus and his body right at the centre and above everything else? so that we're not a chopped off finger or a cut off toe. So that was a bit heavy, wasn't it? Sorry about that. Let's lighten the mood a bit. Does anyone remember this? <laughs> Absolutely. This was a Prudential advert for pensions. And I don't know whether if you, press, if you just press play again, will it, will it actually work, Sangeeta, or is it just stuck there? Is that about as much as we're going to get? It was a little video gif that, that just showed that bit. Um, so if you, have, if you don't know this, if you're, too, if you're too young, if you're younger than Kev, which is most of you here, um, then you've got a brummy man and he shares his ideas. He talks about what he wants to do with his retirement. And while he does that, the, the, the lady doesn't say anything, 
but we hear the thought in her Liverpoolian accent as she grits her teeth and smiles sweetly. We want to be able to live a little. I want to be able to live a lot. We want to be able to go out once in a while. I want to be out every night. We want to be able to enjoy the garden. I want to be able to stuff the garden, hire a big yacht, and disappear around the world. (laughs) And then, can you remember the final line? We want to be together. (laughs) And what we see, if the video were to work, is this this, this lady who's smiling sweetly just turns and gives the, the biggest look of disdain to the camera. What does that mean? Well, verse six and eight, Uh, of Romans uh, says we all have different gifts and your gifts are needed by the body there's no such thing as an individual Christian by definition a Christian is someone who belongs to Christ is part of Christ's body and has a part to play that cannot be played in isolation how amazing some of the prophetic words during worship, and particularly that last one about the part that we all have to play in, in that picture of Moses and the battle and the hands being raised. So whether your gifts are compassion or kindness, encouragement or a prophetic word, praying or generosity, or hospitality or healing or miracles, or simply friendship and companionship, You are so important. You are so important to the body. You make it strong. You need to be there. You need to be available for God and available for each other. You see, gifts, by definition, when you buy someone a gift, you don't buy the gift for yourself. It's for the other person. So the spiritual gifts are not for the gift to the person it's given, but for the people in the body that need that gift. And Paul says, we're to exercise those gifts with grace and with kindness. And um, what else does he say? He said, um, oh yes, without irritability or being grumpy. Okay, I admit I need to work on that one. But if we're honest, haven't we all of us, just on occasion, when someone like me stands up here and preaches something like I'm preaching, have we all felt like that lady earlier on in the advert? Not at this church, of course, maybe at previous churches. <laughs> but isn't it sometimes true that we can hear, we want to be together, but actually feel something different? But if we really know this Jesus, if we really know what he's like, I mean, wow, does he love We didn't even know what love was until we saw it in him. And when he hung there from that cross, that cursed, filthy cross, body broken and bleeding, that love still poured down on mocker and disillusioned friend alike. His body We are his body. And that love brings me to point two, loving together. 
Now, John, the apostle, was one of the closest disciples to Jesus. He was the disciple who reclined on Jesus' breast at the Last Supper. John was the one of the three disciples who was on the mountain when Jesus was transfigured. John described himself as the disciple Jesus loved. And after all the time that John spent with Jesus, after a lifetime of walking in faith, after a lifetime of leading churches, what was John's main message? If John had one message, it was love. When John got really old, he got to a point where he couldn't walk any longer. He couldn't preach any sermons. His followers used to carry him on a stretcher to the meetings. And even though he could only mumble a few words, all he used to say, all he ever used to say was, little children love one another. For John, that boiled down the whole of the gospel, the whole of Jesus' teaching, all of his time with teaching, little children, he would say to people like you and I, gathered to worship God, little children love one another. And if you hear nothing else today, please hear, God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. These are the scriptures, what John, just a few of the scriptures that John recorded of Jesus' words. John 13, 34, a new command I give you, love one another as I've loved you, so you must love one another. <laughs> 15, 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. 15, 14, you are my friends if you do what I command, and this is my command, verse 17, love each other. So Jesus is talking about loving together. And these commands, they're not rules, they're not regulations. They're talking about love. How do we know whether we love God? By the love we show each other together. It's simple. Love each other and you show how you love God. You see, love of God isn't just nice words. We show our love by our actions and how we love each other. Verse 9 to 10, Paul is saying the same thing. Love from the centre of who you are. Don't fake it. Uh, the Passion Translation says, never play the role of an actor wearing a mask. And I hope at Junction 10, you know, that you don't feel that way. I hope that when you come into this place and when you're with other people, that you feel you can be your true self. You don't have to wear a mask. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to the good. Be good friends, good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. Verse 11 to 13, don't burn out. Keep yourself fueled in a flame. Be alert servants of the master, cheerfully and expectant. Are we regularly refueling ourselves? Are we cheerful and expectant and aflame? Again, the Passion Translation says, be enthusiastic to serve the Lord. Keep your passion towards him boiling hot. Radiate with a glow of the Holy Spirit and let him fill you with excitement as you serve him. Let this heart burst forth within you, releasing continual joy. This is how we're to serve. And if you're not serving part of the body at Junction 10, then please do have a word with Rachel or Kev or Joe or Vicky or anyone on staff and find out how you 
can serve. Get connected in to a small group. Get connected into his body. Every part of Jesus' body has a function. And do you have a boiling passion? If not, get some prayer. We, we, we regularly now have prayer ministry. But if we've not got prayer ministry on that particular day, pray with someone that you came with. Ask someone to pray with you. Get yourself filled anew with the Holy Spirit. Goes on to say, don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. Commune with God at all times. Help needy Christians be inventive in hospitality. Again, the Passion Translation says, take a constant interest in the needs of God's beloved people and respond by helping them and eagerly welcome people as guests into your home. Now, this idea about hospitality is something that we as a teaching team feel God's speaking to us about. So what you'll find later on this year is that we're going to take some time and do some teaching and have a focus on hospitality. But in the meantime, maybe how can you think, how can I be hospitable in the coming weeks and months to those of God's people? I mean, maybe even, you know, people in dire need, maybe you can open your homes up to them. Who knows? But in verse 14 and 15, we get to the real shocking part. Bless your enemies. No cursing under your breath. I mean, what challenge is that? The next bit's easier. Laugh with your friends when they're happy and share tears where they're down. Yeah, that makes sense. But blessing our enemies. Not even being able to mutter about them under the breath. And the next bit, making friends with nobodies. Trying not to be a somebody. Do you think Paul's repeating himself a bit? Verse 17 to 19, here he goes again, saying the same sort of thing. Don't hit back. Try to find beauty in everyone. Even not taking revenge or judging, but letting go of control and trusting God to deal with it. Other, other translations saying, you know, that vengeance belongs to God, but trusting that God will deal with it if you don't. Verse 20 and 21, come on, Paul. I think you're labouring the point a bit here. If we see our enemy hungry, we go and buy that person lunch. Or if he's thirsty, get him a drink. Our generosity will surprise him with goodness. The next bit I want to pause on, don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. NIV says, don't, don't be overcome by evil. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, this must be important because Paul has said the same thing again and again, and he's led to this crescendo. But I think he has to spell it out for us to get the message because it goes against everything the world tells us about how to treat our enemies. And we prayed for all of the war-torn places in the UK earlier. Kev, thanks for doing that. But if we just focus on Ukraine, just the other week, was anybody touched by the Ukrainian mothers who were caring for Russian soldiers? Isn't that Jesus? Isn't that loving your enemies? Now, don't get me wrong... You know, I was listening to a, a, a little thing that Gene sent us on from Nikki Gumbel, who was talking about Ukraine and, and the atrocities there. And Nikki was saying, 
you have to name evil. You don't have to sugarcoat it. Evil is evil. Bombing mothers and children and oppressing other natures with such other other nations as as such violence is evil. But God calls us to respond with evil, not with evil, but with good. So we respond to evil, not with evil, but with good. So by the end of Romans 12, I hope we all get Paul's gospel message. We're part of a precious body, Christ's body. We're ministers, we need each other. And we have gifts, and we're supposed to share the gifts with each other in community. And that expresses itself through love. And Paul has really pressed the point home about how this love looks by being together. So on to Romans 13, and we're going to whiz through 13. On to our third point, together with authority. Doing all right, one-handed. It's not, not as bad as I thought. Um, I'm not dwelling on this long because, I, you know, I'm just pulling out the key thing that Paul's saying because it's really a no-brainer. What Paul's saying is we should obey the law, we should be law-abiding, and we should be responsible citizens together with those in authority. Verse 1 to 3, Paul is clear that all authority is ultimately under God's authority. Those in authority may not always behave in line with God's will. Indeed, they may violate it, as we are seeing with Putin and the atrocities in Ukraine. But as we heard just a few verses ago, we leave God to deal with that. For our part, we pray, we do good, we behave as responsible citizens. And I love the fact that in this translation, Paul talks about duly constituted authorities. So he isn't agreeing, actually, with authorities that are evil. What he's saying is that when authority is exercised fairly, you don't have to worry about it. If you are a decent citizen, you've got nothing to fear. Verse 3 to 5, Paul develops his point. Our behaviour should be responsible and not law-breaking, not breaking the rules left, right and centre, rather being like our Father in heaven, who is a God of order, not a God of chaos. He's a God of living right. Now, um, verse 6 to 7, I know I have some good friends at Junction 10, or at least one, that works for the HMRC. (laughs) So, don't fiddle your taxes, okay? Is that right, Mick? Absolutely, don't fiddle your taxes. Taxes might not always seem fair, but they're there for a reason, Paul's saying. If you're inclined to take cash in hand and avoid paying taxes, then Junction 10, stop it and stop it now. That's what Paul's saying. Be absolutely honest and try not to bend the rules to suit yourself. Equally, respect your leaders. And there are lots of verses in the Bible about respecting and submitting to church leaders. Okay, but Paul is talking here about Boris Johnson. Paul's talking here about the Queen. Paul's talking here about your local authority leaders. And you know what? You might not like your leaders. You might not agree with their politics. You might not be a royalist. But Paul doesn't give us the option as Christians to disrespect leaders. Even our lousy boss at work, we can respect them. Darn it. And if you're listening to me, you're a great boss, honest. 
And we're in this together with authority. Verse 8 to 10. Paul is looping back everything to his earlier points, and he just keeps reminding us that it's all about love. And Paul illustrates it by quoting a few of the laws from the Ten Commandments and the rules that he should observe. And you know what? Paul could have quoted hundreds and hundreds of more rules, but what he's saying is, God is love, Jesus is love. Jesus came to fulfil the law and the prophets, and he did this because he's love. And as Jesus replied, when asked what the greatest commandment was, what did he say? <clears throat> Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So as Paul says here, you can't go wrong when you love others. When you add up everything in the law code, the sum total is love. And this brings me to my final point. Wake up and step up together. As we come to the end of Romans 13, I think Paul has a prophetic message for us at Junction 10. So, Romans 13, verse 11 to 14. But make sure you don't get so absorbed and exhausted in taking care of all your day-to-day obligations that you lose track of the time and you doze off, oblivious to God. The night is about over. Dawn is about to break. Be up and awake to what God is doing. God is putting the finishing touches on the salvation work he began when we first believed. I think that's the next slide I think I've got to put on. We can't afford to waste a minute. We must not squander these precious daylight hours in frivolity and indulgence, in sleeping around and dissipation, in bickering and grabbing everything in sight. Get out of bed and get dressed. Don't loiter and linger. Waiting until the very last minute. Dress yourselves in Christ and be up in a bed. So, Junction 10. Oh, I've got some laughs there. Did you have a lying this morning? Is that what it is? Junction 10, back in 2016, I preached a word called Wake Up. And I just want to recap that, because it may have been a prophetic word that was a little early in season. And as I was thinking about this preach today, I'm wondering whether it might be more for now than it was then. Now, in 2016, if you recall, we'd only just moved to Grace Academy Darlaston. Uh, in that word... I talked about pruning, and I said that when you're pruned, it's a trauma which needs a period of recovery. And we've been through some pretty significant trauma in 2014. But what I said was it's the recovery period that new strength is built. So if you do bodybuilding, as you can tell I do, not. If you do bodybuilding, actually, you rip the muscles when you push them beyond the pain barrier, and then when the exercise stops and things seem to be inactive, it's then when the muscles begin to mend. And when the repaired muscles mend, they're thicker in, they, they, they increase in thickness, they're increased in number, and it creates muscle growth and muscle strength. And I'm sure those who are nurses amongst us can attest to that. I don't know about it, but I'm sure it's true. So it's not the pain that creates the strength, it's 
the recovery. It occurs while you rest. And I said that broken hearts can work exactly the same. If our heart is broken and placed in God's hand, the broken heart mends stronger yet softer. And I felt at the time that God was whispering to us, your dormant recovery is ending, wake up. I said in that preach that if we'd have received the new building a few years ago and had not been through everything that we'd been through with the demolition of the building and with Carries and, and then with Gad, I think it would have been hard for us to accept the multi-use partnership arrangements that God might be asking us to form. Possibly we'd have seen the ark as only a church sanctuary. And at best we'd have tolerated, at worst we might have resented those others coming into our space and messing it up. And I said at the time, but when I think about where we are now, this is 2016, worshipping in a school building, having been at Caris Bible College for two years, the idea that there might be two sites, one at GAD, one at 323, I think we're far more ready to accept and receive what God has. So we need to be praying, I said at the time, about what we can do for this area, the people of Darlister, because this is where God has placed us for now. And this was about being together, not just as church community, but as a church together with our community. I said at the time, I think that God's whispering to us, wake up. Wake up to what he wants us to do here at Grace Academy of Darlaston and what he wants at 323. God told us we felt to demolish the building, but he also instructed us to build community with Jesus at the centre specifically not to focus on the new physical building. So I said, let's make sure we're more in love with Jesus than we are with the new building. Let's wake up to what's around. And that was 2016, six years ago. And I feel I could almost preach exactly the same sermon today. Can we get the worship team up just for this last bit, please? But if I was preaching it again today, to the wake-up, I would now add, step up. What does stepping up mean? Well, Junction 10, we're at yet another crossroads in our journey. We were told a few weeks ago that in response to a seven-year review that the elders uh, undertook, We've been called to a season of prayer and fasting before Junction 10 in Lent. So hopefully you've all had that message. If you haven't, there are sign-up sheets outside where you can covenant with us to fast and to pray for Junction 10 over these, what was, 40 days. Okay, did you work out how many days are left? No. About 30, 20, 30 something. So there's still plenty of time. When I con- there were a few of us that were asked to contribute to this review. When I contributed to it, um, I had the sense, and Rachel shared this a couple of weeks ago, I had the sense that maybe Junction 10 had been a bit like a car in limp-arm mode. When the car has an engine-related problem, limp-arm mode reduces the speed and acceleration and it reduces the functionality, but it keeps it ticking over enough to get home. And I sense that Junction 10 
may have been in limbo mode for too long. And this seemed to resonate. We seem to get a sense that God might be preparing us to accelerate, that we have more potential than he wants to release. Obviously to move from limbo mode to full functionality, a master technician needs to make some adjustments. Before lockdown, my car started to show the engine light every time we went on a long trip. Performance dipped, acceleration dropped, everything went sluggish. Took it to Mazda, and the Mazda master technicians at the garage had to do some deep diagnostic work. And you know what? There were some very costly and painful set of remedial actions because the diesel carbon had built up and had clogged some parts. So they had to do a complete decarbonisation, a thorough clean, some settings had to be altered, some parts had to be adjusted, others had to be replaced. But you know what Junction 10, God as our master knows what he needs to do with us. And is it possible that if we're willing to really listen to him over these 30 remaining days, if we're willing to yield to him in his adjustments, to the things he wants to clean up or change or alter, then might we see amazing acceleration and increased potential. One of the most prophetic pictures that came out of this review for me was that we shouldn't think of being on a Moses journey. Moses knew where the, he was going, he was going to the promised land. Rather, we should see ourselves on an Abrahamic journey, setting out without the final destination clear. But yes, Abraham did eventually get to the promised land, but it was not his target. God called Abraham out to a land he knew not. And in October 2013, when we heard God ask us to demolish 323, which we did in 2014, he said to build community with Jesus at the centre. And I think that was the start of an Abrahamic journey, which we are still on. How do we build community with Jesus at the centre? We do it together. We do it by being together, by loving together, by living responsibly with authority, by waking up and stepping up together. So as the band play, thanks Kev. Can we stand? So band, if you could play, can we stand? I'm going to begin to start prophesying our Junction 10. Making some